Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Now take yourself back maybe a few years for some of you, many years for some, maybe forward a few years for some of you. But you're seated in your sophomore college class, first day of the semester. It is an English literature class. And the professor walks in and he says, good morning class. I'm your professor for this semester and I want you to know at the very beginning that I have already given everybody in this class an A. I've already filled out the report that will be sent to the registrar's office at the end of the semester, and I have placed an A by every one of your names. Therefore, you don't have to come to class any if you do not want to. You do not have to take any of the tests. You do not have to do any of the term papers, nor do you have to do any of the outside reading. You already have an A. Now today we're going to begin by looking at the characteristics of the literature of the Elizabethan age. Now, how well would you take notes in that class? Would you even come back to class the next day? How many of the tests would you take? How many of the papers would you do? How much of the outside reading would you do? And you say, well, why do any of it, preacher? I already have an A. Why should it work? Now that's the position that Christians find themselves in when they first discover God's grace. When they first realize that God has blessed them according to the merit of the Lord Jesus and that they cannot do anything to earn God's approval or earn God's blessing but they already have it on the basis of what Jesus has done, they think, well then, why do anything at all? You know, if God has given you an A when you deserve an F, then why do anything at all? If you cannot, by doing certain Christian disciplines like prayer and Bible reading and giving, gain God's approval or His blessing, then why do it at all? Maybe you've been thinking that as you've been reading Transforming Grace. If I already have it, if God's already blessed me with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, if I already have His absolute approval and unconditional love, if He looks at me based on the Lord Jesus, then why do anything? And that brings us to the very question of motivation, doesn't it? Why why do you do what you do? Why did you come to church today? In your heart of hearts. Why did you come today? Did you think, well, my mom and dad didn't give me a choice. I had to. Or did you think, well, you know, I just felt like I ought to. Or, you know, if I didn't, I'm afraid the preacher might call me up. Want to know where I was. Why did you have your quiet time yesterday? Why did you have your prayer time yesterday? Why did you spend any time in the Bible? Was it because you thought, well, maybe if I don't, things are going to go bad for me today? Well, I feel like I ought to. Well, I'm a Christian. That's what Christians do. Why did you give your offering today? Would you like paying a bill? (laughs) That's what my folks always taught me to do. That's what I ought to do. 
That's what I should do. Why are you involved in Focus 2006? Whether it be the children's ministry or the upward soccer or the young parents class or the prayer ministry. Why are you involved? Well, you didn't give me a choice, preacher. You said we had to. And you stuck that paper in my face and said, where are you going to serve? Goes to motivation, doesn't it? There's only one motivation that goes with grace living. And John tells us today what that is. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John, over toward the end of your Bible, chapter 5. And let the Word of the Heavenly Father set you free from that wearisome, tiresome, ought-to mentality. 1 John 5, beginning with verse 1. Let's stand in respect for the Word of God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the obeying of His Word. Now we're talking about motivation. Why serve God? Why do the Christian disciplines of prayer and Bible study? Well, first of all, I want you to see that it is a matter of family. It's a matter of family. Notice the filial terms that John uses in these verses. He uses born of God. He uses the term father. He uses the term children of God. Now, John wants us to know at the very beginning, when it comes to serving God, we need to realize it's a matter of family. He tells us two characteristics of one who is in God's family. The first one is, in verse 1, God's children believe that Jesus is the Christ. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You see, the evidence that one has been born into God's family is that they believe that Jesus is the one who was sent from God, the one who came to save His people from their sins, that He is the Christ, the anointed one of God. He is the Messiah. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, just a chapter before this in verse 2, it says, By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You see, John is saying, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. You've got to see what spirit is from God and what spirit is not. And he says, how you can tell is, every spirit that is from God confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That He is from God. That He is God incarnate. God who took on humanity. He is the one that has been sent by God to save His people, to offer Himself as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of His people. Now that's how you can know that you're a child of God. You see, when God brings about the spiritual birth within you, He opens up your mind to understand that Jesus... 
is God. And that He is the Christ, the Anointed One of God. He opens up your heart and turns it from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that loves God, that loves His Son. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent to be the Savior of the world. That He came to earth, that He lived that perfect life, that He did what we could not do, and that is He took our sins upon Himself on that cross. He died as payment for our sins. He satisfied the holy wrath of God over our sins by His own death. And He arose from the dead. He conquered death. And He's alive today. He defeated death and ascended to heaven. And those who are in the family of God believe this. That's the evidence that you've been born again. That you believe Jesus is the Christ. The second characteristic of those who are in God's family, not only do they believe that Jesus is the Christ, but God's children have God in them. Look in chapter 4 of 1 John verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. You see, God's Spirit indwells His children. When you were born again into God's kingdom, His Spirit is the one that calls that new birth. And His Spirit did that by indwelling you. He came within you and brought about that new birth. That birth that gave you the faith to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Therefore, we are the partakers of His divine nature. In Second Peter chapter 1, look at verse 4. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. As a child of God, you are a partaker of His divine nature. Now, you're not divine. Don't misunderstand that. But you do have His divine nature within you in His Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is God. He is divine. And when He indwells you as a child of God, you have the divine nature within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, it is that divine nature that brings us into God's family. Now, that's very significant that you understand and remember this. And it's significant because it's the Holy Spirit that has brought us into God's family as we're born again, as He imparts to us that divine nature and makes us a part of God's divine family. But it is also the same Holy Spirit that supplies us with the right motivation to serve God. Remember, we're talking about motivation. Why do you do what you do? Why do you serve God? You can't earn His favor or His blessing, so why do you do it? The Holy Spirit is there to give us the right motivation for serving God. And what John wants us to know is, first of all, it's a matter of family. You see, when you think about being involved in upward soccer, being involved in the children's ministry, being involved in the young parents' class or the prayer ministry, how do you see it? How do you see your involvement? Do you see it as a a servant serving his master? Well, you know, God's the master and He wants me to do this, so I'll serve Him. Or do you see it as a child serving his parents? When you have your prayer time, how do you see it? Do you see it as a slave reporting in to the master in the morning to find the orders for the day? What would you have me to do? Or do you see your prayer time as 
going into the presence of a loving parent to say, what can I do today? What would you like for me to do today as my loving Heavenly Father? How do you see it? You know, there are things that we will do for a family that we won't do for anybody else. There are things that the ought-to mentality just will not get done. But family will. I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to bear my soul. You want me to bear my soul? I'm going to bear my soul with you. There are only six people on planet Earth who can make the claim that I have changed their dirty diaper. (laughs) Only six. And do you know why? They're family. Now, I know you women can probably not understand this, but every man in here will understand. I'm not doing it. Nope. Ought to won't cut it. Nope. It may need, it may need to be. Nope. I'm not going to do it. Family, yes. Other than family, no. I haven't even changed the grandchild's diaper yet. Now, I, 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 that's family, so I, I, if I, the situation's right, I may have to do that. But the situation's got to be just right. You see, you do things for family that you won't do for anybody else. So it is with God's family. You are a child in His family. He is your loving Father. You are His loving child. And so when you think of serving God, first of all, it's a matter of family. Secondly, it's a matter of family love. Again, verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. What's the one word that characterizes family? Love. Love. Now, when you think about school, kids, what one word comes to your mind? Maybe homework, but it's not love, I'm pretty sure. When you think about your place of employment, what one word comes to mind? I'm pretty sure it's not love. Maybe it's responsibility. When you think of our government, what's the word that comes to your mind? Taxes? Rules? But I'm pretty sure it's not love. But when you think of family, the one word that should come to our minds is love. Because families are the place where love abounds. Husbands love wives, and wives love husbands, and parents love children, and children love parents, and siblings love siblings. Okay, I'm not going too far with that, but siblings should love siblings, and in due time, give them enough years, they will. But love is a place where the family is, and family is a place where love is. And God's family is no different. And so when it comes to our motivation for serving God, we must realize it's a matter of loving the Father. Look in verse 1. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. We love God, our Heavenly Father. Just as it is natural for a child to love his parent, it is natural for us to love our Heavenly Father. Now, why is it natural for a child to love his parent? Have you ever thought about that? You're not born with it. You're not just born with a love for your parent. No, a child loves his parent because the parent first loved the child. 
parent loves that child, and the parent sacrifices for that child. The parent meets that child's needs, feeds that child when that child is hungry, changes that child when that child needs changing, protects that child when they need protection, nurtures that child when they need nurture, and the natural response of the child back to the parent's love is love. That's why we love our parents, because they first loved us. And they gave evidence of this love by the things they did for us, and it's just natural for us to love them back. So it is with our divine family. We love God because He first loved us. In chapter 4, verse 19, we see that. In chapter 4, verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, God first loved us and sent His Son to be that atoning sacrifice for us. He provided for us what we could not provide for ourselves, and that is eternal salvation from His holy wrath. Even when we hated Him, He still showered His love on us. He provides for us. He protects us. And our response back to Him is to be one of love. Just as an earthly child responds to the parent's love with loving Him back, we will respond to the love of our Heavenly Father by loving Him back. And if you are having trouble loving God, the problem is you don't know how much He loves you. You don't really understand how much He loves you. If you understood how much He loved you, you could not help but respond back in love for Him. If you realize how much He's done for you, you can't help but respond back in love for Him. One day Jesus was having a meal at a man's house, and Jesus went in, and and the custom of that day, it was just customary courtesy to, to offer to wash someone's feet because the roads were dusty, and as you know, they wore sandals and the feet got dirty. That was just the customary practice of hospitality. Another thing was customary was to uh, offer some oil for anointing just to kind of freshen the person up and to give them just that friendly good kiss on the cheek as even they do in some cultures today. Those were just customary things. But when Jesus went into this guy's house to have a meal, this guy didn't do any of that stuff. But it was this woman who was in there who was, who was a prostitute. And she came and, and she knelt at Jesus' feet and she wept. And her tears wet his feet and she dried his feet with her hair and, and she poured perfume on his feet and kissed his feet and, and just a display of, of such affection. And this man in whose home Jesus was having this meal thought to himself, does he know this woman's a prostitute? And he's letting her touch him? But Jesus knew what this man was thinking and he said, let me tell you something. There are two people that owe this one guy and one of them owes him uh, uh, $500,000, another owes him $500. Now this guy comes to both of these people that owe him money, and he says, I'm going to remit the debt. You don't owe me anything. I'm counseling it out completely. The 500000 and the 500 And Jesus says, which one of these guys is going to be the most grateful? Which one of these guys is going to love this guy the most? And the guy Jesus was eating with said, well, the one that he forgave the greatest debt will be the most appreciative and most grateful. And Jesus said, that's right. 
And then He said, So for this reason I say to you, Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Jesus said, Simon, I came in here and you didn't even offer to wash my feet a common courtesy. You didn't even offer to anoint my head at all. And this woman has not ceased to anoint my feet with oil and wash my feet with her tears and kiss my feet. And you didn't even give me the the friendly kiss of friendship. Why? Because Simon didn't think he'd really done that much wrong. He didn't think he really needed that much forgiveness. But this lady knew. She knew how much she needed. And her heart was overflowing with love for the only one who could forgive her. So if you're having trouble loving God, you need to spend some time thinking about how much He loves you and how much He has done for you and how much He has forgiven you. Because it's a matter of family love. And first, it's loving the Father. But second, it's a matter of loving His children. Verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. You see, not only does a child love his parent, but he's to love his siblings as well. Now, that's more difficult, granted, than loving your parents, but it's the fact, nevertheless, that it should be done. In fact, John says you can tell when someone is really in love with God because he does love his brothers and sisters. 1 John 4.20 If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So when the question comes up, since God has already given me an A when I deserve an F, why should I do anything? It's because I love Him. That's my motivation. Because I am in His family. He is my loving Heavenly Father. And I am His loving child. And I want to come to church because I love Him. I want to spend time in the Word because I love Him. I want to serve in Focus 2006 because I love Him. Not only is it a matter of family, not only is it a matter of family love, but thirdly, it is a matter of family love evidenced by obedience. Look in verse 3. For this is the love of God. Alright? John says, I'm going to define for you what is the love of God. What does it mean to love God? Here it is. That we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. You see, talk is cheap. We can say we love somebody, but our actions tell the truth. A man can say all day to his wife, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if he doesn't spend any time with her, if he's always off with the guys doing things, if he doesn't provide for her but takes the money he earns and spends it on his foolish toys and boats and all these things, he doesn't love her. I don't care what he says. His actions speak much louder than his words. So it is with us. We can say we love God, but the true expression of our love is our obedience to His Word. Our obedience to God is an expression of our love for Him. It's because we love Him that we obey Him. Obedience is a natural expression of our love for God. Now that brings us to the whole question of law and grace. Since we've been delivered from the law and its condemning power... Since we are saved by grace, since we cannot earn God's approval, blessings, or acceptance, then why obey the moral law of God? Because we love God. Because it's an expression of our love for Him. That's why. You see, grace sets you free to observe and obey the law of God out of love. 
You see, because I love my Heavenly Father, I want to please Him. And the moral law shows what pleases Him. Therefore, as an expression of my love for Him, I obey His moral law, and I will not steal, will not cheat, will not lie, will not commit adultery, and on and on and on. Not because I'm afraid that if I do so, I'm going to lose my salvation, or if I do so, God's going to kill me, or if I do so, He's going to withhold blessings from me. No, I don't do it because I love Him, and I want to express my love by obeying His Word. Just because I'm freed from the condemning power of the law does not mean I do not want to obey the law as an expression of my love. In fact, it sets me free to obey the law out of love. Since I cannot earn God's acceptance, favor, or blessings through obeying the law, no sense in even trying. So now when I obey the law, it's just because I love Him. Not because, because I'm trying to get anything out of Him. Now, go back to our original opening story. Here you are in class, been given an A already. It's a done deal. Now, if you attend class and take notes, what's the reason? Because you want to learn. For the love of learning. For the love of English literature. When you do those research papers, you're not doing it to try to earn an A and hurry and get through with it and get done. You're doing it because you want to learn. You want to absorb. You want to find out about this. When you do that outside reading, you're freed up now to do it because you want to and because you love learning. You see the difference? No longer are you trying to earn something, but you're set free to do it strictly out of love. The love of learning. So it is with the law of God. We're set free from obeying the moral law of God to gain anything from God. We're free to do it because we love Him. As an expression of our heart that is overflowing with love and gratitude for him. And that's what John means when he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, burdensome means heavy. It means hard to carry. Now, why are God's commandments not hard to carry? Why are they not burdensome? Why are they not tiring? Because we are obeying God not out of an ought to mentality, but out of a love mentality. We're obeying him because we want to. Many of you know that uh, I'm just about finished with my doctoral work. And this doctoral work has not been a burden. It's not been burdensome. It's not even been tiring. It's been joyful. Now you may think, school, joyful. Well, I want to tell you, it's the first time I've really enjoyed school. You know, I've already gone 12 years of high school, 4 years of college, 3 years of seminary, and I just now got so I really enjoyed it. Maybe that says more about me than anything else. But there's a reason for that. Because this is the first time I've ever studied only what I really wanted to study. You know, even in seminary, I really enjoyed the Bible classes and the theology classes, but they always threw some of those old classes in there like church history and some of that stuff that I didn't really like. You know, and it was a chore. It was a burden. It was tiresome to study those things. But with this doctoral program in expository preaching, I've enjoyed all the classes. Man, it's been a joy. It's been a thrill. It's been fun. I would look forward to the time each day when I could, each night when I can get into my study time and read and, and see the materials that were there. It wasn't a burden. Why? Because I was doing it 
out of love for the subject, love for the for the truth, love for what was there, for what it was doing for me, and I hope it was doing for my preaching. But that's the way it is with serving God. When we serve Him out of love, it's not a burden. It's a joy. Now you may get tired. It may be hard. But it's not burdensome. It doesn't wear you slap out. Now you want to get tired, you serve out of an ought-to mentality, and brother, you will get worn to a frazzle. And you just drag it. Man, I ought to do it, but I just don't really want to do it. That'll wear you out. But the love motivation liberates you and it refreshes you. You see, we're not coming to church because we ought to, but because we love God. And He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And I know it pleases Him for me to come to church, so I'm going to come. I have my quiet time, not because I think I ought to, but because I love God and want to spend time with Him. That's not burdensome. You see, I do not serve Him to become a part of His family, but I serve Him because I am in His family. I do not get involved in upward soccer to gain His love or earn His love. I'm involved in upward soccer because I am loved by Him. And I rejoice in that. You see, since God has given you an A when you deserve an L, the question is why I bother to do anything. And the answer is because you love Him. Because He's your loving Heavenly Father and you're His loving child and it's an expression of your love for Him. You see, it's really a matter of family love evidenced by obedience. When love is involved, even the greatest sacrifice is not a sacrifice. The true story is told of Solomon Rosenberg. He and his wife and his two sons and his mother and father were incarcerated in Nazi concentration camp in World War II. This was a work camp, and the rule was simple. As long as you can work and are productive, you live. But when you cease to be productive, you are exterminated. Solomon Rosenberg had the misfortune of seeing both of his parents come to that state that the Nazis considered them unproductive, and they were exterminated. He knew that his young son would be David would be the most likely next one because he was a frail child anyway. Every day he would come home from his hard labors and he would come into the barracks and he would immediately look to see if his wife and his two sons were still there. And when they were found, they would huddle in the corner and just thank the Lord that they had another day. But that fateful day came that he went in one night and he couldn't find his family. And looking and looking around, he finally saw his older son Joshua in the corner crying. And he said, Joshua, it didn't happen, did it? He said, yes, Papa. He said, David got so he couldn't work. And they came to get him today. He said, well, where's your mom? He said, well, Papa, when when they came, David started crying. And he was afraid. And Mama went up and took his hand and said, David, there's nothing to be afraid of. And she went with him. And nobody told that mother, you ought to go with that child to his death. So he won't go alone, afraid. Ought to would not have caused her to make that sacrifice. But love. Love for her child. It was not a sacrifice. She wanted to go. Your love for God. His love for you. Is your motivation for grace. And grace living. For serving Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You. 
that You love us so much. Thank You that our motivation for serving You is love and not ought. Not to gain Your acceptance. Not to gain Your favor. Because how would we know if we've gained it? But because You have accepted us. Because we are approved in the Lord Jesus. And we love You. It's in Your name I pray. Amen.